This is Dr. Cesar Libero with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And um, man, you know, I, when I set out to do this podcast, I, I never anticipated the number one, the number of episodes. I'm approaching 100 episodes now of this podcast. So that means, you know, 100 amazing stories. And, um, you know, a lot of the guests, a lot of the guests have been folks that I went to college with. Uh, folks in my network. Um, today's guests actually kind of an, like an extended part of that network. Um, and just really briefly, when I was when I was in college, when I was an undergrad, I joined a, a group at Stanford called Los Hermanos of Stanford. And I've had a number of my hermanos on, and it was a, a, a an incredible group. Uh, I certainly, I think uh, I owe a lot of my success and the support that I got at Stanford to the organization. And today, um, today I'm joined by another member of Los Hermanos of Stanford. And so, um, Anthony, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to, um, to our listeners out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks Jay. Um, yeah, my name is Anthony Marquez. I'm, uh, actually let me, let me do it more, even more formally. Um, I just introduced myself, uh, how we do in, uh, Navajo, with the Navajo language talking about my clans. Um, and I, so I am uh, half Navajo and then half Mestizo Mexican, um, where that indigenous side, uh, my dad's traced back to being uh, Warm Springs Apache. And so I have, uh, you know, very strong connections to both my cultures. And um, I grew up in New Mexico, uh, was born on the Navajo reservation. I lived there for a while moved off the reservation to Southern New Mexico, kind of closer to where my dad's from uh, and lived there for a while until college and then uh, ended up going to Stanford. I'm, I'm currently in Austin, Texas, um, married, have three beautiful young kids uh, under the age of five. Uh, so it's a lot right now, but um, yeah. Anthony, thank you. Um, and thank you for that introduction. So you were the first person that that has done that. And I think that's really cool. Um, before we get into your story, you know, um, and, and, I, and I feel like this is this maybe this is a part of your story. Um, how old were you when you learned Navajo? Um, so I, that's not by no means fluent. Um, but introduction, uh, just that uh, it's such an important part of our culture that uh, they were teaching us when we moved to the res in second grade. And I remember they were teaching my brother, but that time was in Head Start. Um, they teach that. Um, for us specifically with, with uh, I could dive a little bit even more like to what was said. So I, I said, I am of the mini goats clan. Uh, that's my mom's clan. Uh, Navajo culture is uh, matriarchal and matrilineal. So everything goes through the, 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 the female, the mom. Uh, I'm born for my dad. I say just Mexican. Um, I, I don't know the the correct word for, I, I'd probably say Apache, um, or Apache. And then my, then you say my paternal grandfather is of the saltwater clan and my, my, oh, my maternal grandfather. And then my paternal grandfather is Mexican. Uh, and the reason why we do that in Navajo and, and they teach us such a young age is what Navajo has a concept of culture has a concept of eh, and that's kind of like um, it's the community, your relations, people, the like everyone, and and it's part of that introduction is 
um, you're establishing like, how are you related to someone? So I come into a room and, and I say that um, another example person, be, oh, actually you're related. I'm related to you clan wise. Like you would be my uncle, my, uh, my grandfather or something. And, and from there, what, what that then also establishes is what's, what's my responsibility to you? If, if I'm related to you and you're like, and I would be calling you my grandfather, um, I need to look at you, even if you're younger, like as my grandfather and, and show you that respect, that reverence and such. So, yeah, so they kind of taught us at a young age, uh, like I said, right when I moved back, when I moved to the res, back to the res, um, after being born there, we moved off away. Um, they kind of just made sure we knew our clans. And if you didn't know it, um, you know, go to your parents and then and, and figure it out, uh, you know, work with your parents as far as understanding where you're from and everything. So, yeah, quite, quite young. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Uh-huh. You know, I I um I think it's it's a it's a nice segue into the question that I ask all my guests, and that is, if you had to identify a starting point for an educational journey, where would that starting point be for you? Yeah, so I, I thought I thought about it, and I was trying to think like where where can I pinpoint this, and and I was like, you know, it it just there was not necessarily. I think it. I mean, you get really maybe not the best answers, it's probably at birth in terms of my parents. Um, and, and a big part of it is how they spoke about education to us, how they spoke about the importance of um, going to college. And I, I always uh, say, like, one of the things I want to do as a, as a parent is exactly what my parents did. And to us, it wasn't when, it wasn't when you go to college or a question or quite a question of when it was like, Oh, once you're in college, you're going to do this. Once you're in college, like it was just established. Cause I, and I didn't actually realize like that sort of ingrainment of the importance of education till my senior year of high school, when I turned to, you know, classmates and asked like, so what, what's your plans? Cause I knew I was going to college. Um, I had already applied, you know, it was, a, I think during the application phase, I knew that was going on. And when my classmates said, Oh, you know, they, they didn't answer college right away, or they, they answered, I mean, though some went to military, but still the ones that just didn't have much plans and wasn't, weren't even applying. That's when it clicked like in me that, oh, wow. Like my parents did raise this different as far as that establishment of, um, it was just expected. And it was less of an expectation of that, like that hard press, like where I felt like, I was doing something wrong if I didn't do it. It was just like, that's going to happen. That's just part of life. That's same. You go through puberty that you're going to go through college. Like that yeah. was kind of, yeah. So, so then let me ask you, right. Your parents have this expectation of you. You recognize that maybe your friends didn't have the same kind of expectations from their own parents. Right. And so you said mm-hmm. some went military, some did go to college, but it was kind of, it wasn't as, as maybe as, as, expected right is for you what were you thinking of in terms of you know i want to go here i want to go there uh, i think i when when i kind of break down my younger self like i i i realized like how fortunate i mean i and i will say like i was just fortunate to be born with the gifts i was um that that made you know things, uh, mainly math. I'm an engineer. So math always just came to me natural. And, 
And I think the one thing that naturally just drove me across just as I grew up was just perfectionism. Uh, I, I just kind of always had that where I had to be the best to myself. It was less of like showing off to individuals or, yeah. or trying to beat anyone. It was just to myself. Like I hated, maybe like I feared failure um, and I had to be perfect. Um, so with that, as I went through stuff, I knew that, oh, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good at this math thing. Um, once again, very fortunate that uh, I am not first generation college student. My, my dad actually went to college and was a mechanical engineer. Uh, so I saw tell about first grade, you know, he, he worked for Hewlett Packard in Colorado. Um, and so I saw him be an engineer. And so I had this concept of, and he, you know, engineer, good at math. That's what I, that's, then that makes sense for me what to be. Um, I think later on in life, I, I realized like, uh, what really you can do with an engineering degree. All I knew was like, engineer, we're for a big company. Um, and I know we can go deeper in this topic of like how a lot of people from our communities don't really understand the possibilities. It, it, yeah. it just becomes representative of I'm an engineer. I need to work for an IBM, uh, you know, now it's changing to Google's, you know, Facebook's, Amazon, things like that. But back then it was right. IBM, HP, um, I, I, you know, these kind of bigger companies. So I knew at some point I was good at math, good at science, uh, enjoyed engineering, problem solving stuff. And I'm going to go to school and be an engineer college, but I specifics, I, I mean, all, as probably many of your guests have said, like you kind of find your way, right? It's, it's not a straight path. It's never like anything you want it to be. It's, yeah. and, um, yeah. You know, and I ask Anthony because, so yes, I just finished giving a talk to a bunch of parents here in South Texas and talking about finding the right school for your kid. And um, it's fascinating because, right, if you look at research, if you look at the data, Latinos, and this is this is kind of just more broadly, Latino students tend to undermatch, right? We we kind of set our expectations a little low. We don't we don't go for maybe you know. You hear you and I are Stanford grads, right? We don't look at Stanford, right? We're not looking at the Stanfords of the world. And you're telling me like in your community, you have your friends, some went military, some college was not an expectation. How does, how do you, how does that person end up at Stanford? Um, so just once again, fortunate. Um, I don't think w without, so I owe it to my brother. Um, so my brother, my older brother, uh, two years older than me, um, he went to Stanford. And what happened was he is the, the more of that typical individual that a lot of people think of when they think of Stanford. I'm probably less of in some senses. Like I just, like I said, I kind of just went through school, only did well because I was a perfectionist. My brother was one of those like just bright. And at one point he was tired of um, the public schools there in Southern Mexico, the, the school that I ended up graduating from high school. He had gone there two years. Um, I think he was having, uh, just didn't feel challenged at it. Um, maybe some social uh, fitting in. And so he went and found a Native American prep school. 
is the best Native American prep school at that time. It's called Native American Preparatory School. It's it since dissolved, but he went there and that's the type of school that uh, at that time, three of his classmates ended up at Stanford. So high achieving, high everything. And so that at that school, they had, um, they actually had college fair and the Stanford recruiter went there and recruited uh, specifically the, the Native American, uh, the recruiter that worked on, on increasing the American population at Stanford went there, you know, talked to my brother. So my brother had this whole vision. He's the one that, like I said, he had the thought of Stanford high achieving. Um, myself, I was more along the lines of, uh, I'm there in Southern New Mexico, Las Cruces, New Mexico, to be specific. There's New Mexico State. Uh, that's where my dad had gone. And he's telling me, this is a good engineering school. You don't need to go anywhere else. You, you're, you're fine here. Like, uh, we don't need to spend money, you know, not having really idea of like, this is good. And uh, so I, I had it in my mind. Basically, I was going there. My brother just said uh, back then Stanford had uh, what they called a, a fall visitation program, which in, in order to increase uh, just minorities in general, underrepresented communities, they would fly you out even before you applied to get you to apply. Um, so, which later on you find out if they're pretty confident if you apply, you're going to get in because that's how. So my brother just tells me, Anthony, come visit me. You just have to fill out this paper, this form, and it'll give you a free trip to Stanford to come visit me. I once again, no idea of going to Stanford. So I say, okay, let me, let me do it. It's, I, I've never been to California, you know, really never really left much in New Mexico, the Southwest. I'll, I'll go free trip. Uh, I'm still going to New Mexico state. Like I'm, I'm telling them that I'm going to New Mexico state. <laughs> like that's paid for. I got the, the highest scholarship there. Right. And I mean, I, I don't even, I don't think I applied New Mexico state. Like it's just one of those things. Cause you're in state, they, they automatically accept you and, and everything. Um, I visit my brother and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Right. I mean, Stanford just blows you away the admin weekend or no, 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 this fall visitation program. So, so that blew me away a bit. I'm thinking, uh, I could throw in an application, still going to, still going to New Mexico state, <laughs> throw, throw in my application. Um, and I get in and then they have admin weekend and they fly you out again. And I was like, okay, go again. Once again, that's, yeah, that's where they really put out uh, the show and everyone you see, and it was a repeat, but it was like, once again, it was like more blown away. Still, I get back, go to New Mexico state. Um, but what also happened back with during that first visitation is I, um, I've also been like very, I guess, try to be as, as humble and reserved as I could just kind of my whole life, me. Uh -huh. um, I, I had, I was playing football and I need to tell my coach that, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna make practice on Thursday, whatever day, cause I gotta go to Stanford. But I just said, like, coach, I, I gotta, I'm not gonna make you practice. You know, keep it simple. What, what's going on? Um, I gotta go to this, this city school. What, what, where are you going? Like, you can't miss practice. Um, small school out West. And then eventually pulls it out of me, Stanford by chance once again this is this is one of those things where everything's by chance my coach uh was a football all-star in the bay area uh livermore specifically i found out later and he knew stanford like i barely knew what stanford was to me yeah. it was you know something my brother goes there i hear it's a yeah. good school you hear it referencing maybe a movie say by the bell or whatever um <laughs> right stansbury but i don't really know i i, I knew john elwood because i was a broncos fan that's about it uh, my coach goes crazy. Uh, 
now he lets the cat out of the bag and tells the whole team, like at the end of practice that day, you know, my Anthony's going to stand, Anthony's going to go visit Stanford. They're flying him out there. Then. So wh- why this all plays in is now the whole football team is calling me Stanford boy. You know what? Everyone, I think most people that go to Stanford, go to this school. So you kind of get this throughout. And then, so I go out there that first time to come back, you know, everyone's calling me Stanford boy for the rest of the school year, go to the fall visitation, apply. People call me Stanford. Um, come back, still think I'm going to Mexico State. And I remember uh, the, it was the final day that that uh, your response is due. It's that postcard. And I turn in and I hadn't marked it down. I walk to the mailbox and I sit there and the thought that comes through my head is all these people that I grew up with, a lot of them are going to stay, go to the local state school. They knew I had a chance to get in Stanford. They were calling me Stanford boy, Stanford, whatever, all year how can I pass this up? I can't live in this town. And now everyone's going to look at me and be like, why are you here? Like you should have been at Stanford. So it was till that last moment. Then I said, okay, yes. And I put the card in and that's, yeah, that's, that's essentially it. So that's like, I had no idea. I thought I was going to New Mexico state. I was like, I eventually had to break the news to my dad who, uh, I don't know. He's took it however he took it, but, um, Yeah. It, I had no idea. You know, um, your so your story, and I think I, I and I've had other guests who who have some something similar, right? Mm-hmm. Your story, if for any of my listeners, if they didn't didn't go to Stanford, right? But they're those parents that are um, driven to get their kids into Stanford, right? We know how competitive it is to get in. And, uh, you know, for a lot of kids, it's their dream school and parents, there's so much strategy around it. Like the whole sort of college admissions, college readiness, uh, college counseling machine, right? We heard about the college admission scandal and how much effort people put into this. And yet here you are. And I, and I'll even throw myself in there because I shared in a, in a recent interview and I haven't aired it yet, but you know, I, I told my, my, my guest, I said, you know, the only reason I applied was my, a friend of mine had an application and this was back in the day of paper application. Still, I didn't, I ruined mine because I hand wrote mine and my, my, you know, a, 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 my, the person advising me, he had been my history teacher. He said, what are you doing? Like you <laughs> type this out, like what's wrong with you? And so had this person not just, had just like decided I wasn't, I'm not applying to Stanford Yeah, Take my application. There's no way I would have applied. And I've had other guests that have said, I was lucky. I was fortunate, right? And it's probably driving these parents mad. Like, oh, these people, they don't understand, right? So thank you for that. Um, and thank you for also reminding me, right, that sometimes sometimes it is luck and sometimes it is happenstance. And um, and and I, I appreciate that. You get to Stanford. Um, here you are. You said you're talented in math and science. But even so, did you struggle? Was the transition difficult from going from your high school to Stanford? Yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, this is, this is the, uh, right. They tell us about the, I was a uh, big fish, little pond, and now you're like going to be a small fish in, in this big pond of talent, right. Talent wise. Yeah. And, um, here, here, the other thing that then happened to me, uh, and, and maybe this is for the best was, uh, my brother, Henning Sanford, I'm thinking I got in, I decided to go, 
I'm gonna see my brother. Um, and and be with the, you know, and then I'll have that support. He tells me and lets it know, let us know that, oh, I'm on academic suspension. I'm not gonna be there that first year you're there. Um and he he was he was majoring in mechanical engineering and you know he just got overwhelmed by the, the curriculum and everything and and probably overcommitted. So I remember going into Stanford, knew I wanted to be an engineer once, knew that, um, but I was scared. I was I, I I had a fear driving in me that I could get sent home at any point, and I think that was to a benefit in that like it kept me, uh, kept me on my toes, kept me like having to strive really hard. So already my natural personality would have done that, but I think this on top of it really just emphasized me like I, I can't mess up. I actually, um, you know, I think nowadays there's few people or they, they changed the way AP credit worked. I had AP credit for calc to skip to a certain one. I actually went back and said, I just need to redo it because I think I'm going to end up being confused. I'm going to like get beaten down when I, if I try to outstretch myself, do I really understand those concepts? Um, so I did things like that, that I, I was just like, I got to make sure I, I, I give myself the best chance to succeed. Um, and it, it was a struggle. Like I still struggled. I still remember, you know, um, I, I was talking with, I think when you're, when your prior guest, Drew Martinez, one day uh, we were, we were reminiscing, you know, our entry into Stanford and, you know, he was a physics major and I had to, as a, engineering major you go into physics and or you have to take freshman physics that's the way they lay it out it's probably not the best idea and your first uh my first class at stanford is a Nobel prize winning professor <laughs> who only wants to talk about like some of his Nobel prize and he's teaching like a very hard concept of light and heat in physics and very abstract and i remember just being like just overwhelmed intimidated and it was a struggle that was a struggle um but I think, yeah, those things of like, one, myself, two, having that fear of of, wanting, of feeling like I'm going to fail out. I found a way to, I, I didn't have 4.0 or anything. Like I, I had a good GPA in the end, A's and B's, but like a lot, I just, I invested so much time into office hours. People knew me uh, because of office hours. Like I was always in office hours. Um, and, and that's something that, uh, one of those things that, that I even provide as advice to people in colleges, uh, especially engineers, is I would, uh, one of the things that I ended up doing was I had my calendar of classes and I wrote in all the office hours as well of all the teachers. And so if I wasn't in class, I'd go straight to office hours and I would tell the uh, professors uh, or the assistants, um, the TAs, and be like, I don't need your help, but I want to sit here outside your office and do my prom set. Uh, and if I get stuck, you know, maybe I will come in and that's what I did for, you know, basically four years at Stanford uh, undergrad. You know, um, I love, I love sharing the stories because I think there are a lot of similarities whenever I talk to folks, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the consistencies, right. In terms of, of how we survive and how we thrive. And I know, I think like you, like I got there and there was this tremendous fear. I always tell my students, I was, I think I was a shy kid. I didn't have any brothers or sisters, but I was, so I was really shy and uh, I didn't want to speak up in class, but I always tell my students, I said, but I had a greater fear of failing and having to go home. 
right? Because I, I was from a small town here in South Texas. And I thought, I don't want to be the kid that came back. I don't want to be another statistic. And I was like, so like you, I lived in office hours, like fresh beginning freshman year. And, and, you know, some of my friends at Stanford used to tease me like, Oh, who are you going to go see today? Right. And I, and I would always tell them, Hey, I get free lunches out of it. I get, <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of stuff out of this, stuff, out of this, you know, habit. And, um, you know, the funny thing is like, nobody told me to do that. Like I didn't see my peers doing it freshman year. And I mm-hmm. thought like, cause every time I went to office hours, I was the only one there. I was the only one waiting mm-hmm. for the professor to get there. Um, but it was also like, it was, it ended up being like almost like a survival skill. Like I just needed, this is what I needed to do to survive. So to hear your story, um, def- I definitely relate and understand like, yeah, you know, we're, we're so afraid, but I think the, the fee- the, the greater fear is I don't want to fail. I don't want to go yeah. back. Right. You, before we jumped on, you said, you said you did a co-terminal degree. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I don't know that I've shared this with, with our listeners. I also did a co-terminal degree. Tell me about your co. So tell me about, about like senior year, what, what you're thinking as you see sort of the end of your Stanford career coming that you thought, you know what, I'm going to stay and I'm going to get a core master. Yeah. So I, I uh, eventually chose electrical engineering for my undergrad. Um, and it, it is hard. Like, I mean, a lot of people will be like, that's a, that's a hard degree. It's probably my proudest accomplishment of like the amount of time, stress, everything that the fact that I got through it. Um, it's one of those, it's like a, it's a badge of honor type thing. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I don't know how I, maybe I heard somewhere or someone said something that like, right. The concept of, Oh, nowadays you need at least a master's to, to, do something. Mm-hmm. So like, I just thought, okay, that's logically what I'm going to need. Um, I, I didn't quite understand. I always, my, my mental maturity, I think somewhat, I always felt like it lacked, like it was behind, like yeah. there's certain things I wasn't picking up, but I could grab on a concept like that. Like someone says something and I'm like, okay, I need to do this. I, and then I would just figure out a way to do it. Right. That survival instant kicks in. I'm going to figure out how to get in the culture. I actually thought I was going to co-term in double E. I started taking, um, uh, I started taking graduate level courses, getting ready and I'm getting, which some listeners may be like, uh, what is he complaining about? But I was getting B's, but at, (laughs) at Stanford and for graduate levels there, like a B is not, it's kind of, it's kind of like a C. So you're kind of like, especially in grad school, yeah. And I'm not mastering these concepts to where like I'm killing the graduate level style of this. Um, and I'm not loving it. That's, that's the other thing. I'm not hatched. Like, you know, you're getting deeper with at the master's level. And so I actually did a turn and I went to uh, a different major for my master's was management science and engineering. And what that is, uh, a, a lot of schools have, their equivalent would be industrial engineering. Um, but Stanford kind of keeps it named uh, with management science engineering because I think they're kind of really heavy emphasis of that entrepreneurial aspect of um, this field. And you, you're looking at like basically those those organizational skills, analytical skills uh, within, the, within the scope of engineering. So you, whether it be your, and there's fields within that, um, but you're, you're basically, uh, you know, 
I think it, it had more of a blend of less of a pure analytical what, what electrical engineering had. And it allowed me to start branching out and taking more interesting classes that I would still be very, you're rooted in technical technical skills of engineering, mm-hmm. but you get to expand into other skill sets of like, like I said, organizational behavior. Uh, there, I took a negotiation class. I took a decision-making class, um, an ethics class. So, but still overall, those things are rooted in very technical engineering um, topics and subjects. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, so I switched about midway through my senior year. I think it was that second quarter when you have to officially like make that decision. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of switched to a different engineering major and finished with the master's in, in that. So, you know, you're, you're leaving Stanford, you're getting ready to leave. And, and of course, everybody wants to know, right? Parents, our parents want to know, can you get a job? Do you have a job lined up? Right. Um, and even for us, like we're, we're thinking about that. Seeing it's uh, causing us anxiety. Like sometimes we can't enjoy that last year. Cause we're like, I need to find something. I need to make sure that, that all of this has been worth it. Right. And of course it is, but what were you looking at? Were there job? Did you have job prospects on the horizon? Yeah. So what, once again, I, I don't know what, like I'm trying to weave my way through life. I think there's a path. Um, I have this, at this point, I, I kind of, um, I think could you, attributing it to my parents again on um, just really instilling from our core and my, even my grandparent, my, my, my mom's dad, of the importance of giving back to communities, helping our community do something, doing things like that. I think that naturally was instilled in me. So I then had this vision of one of these days, I, I want to be a, a teacher um, and go back to the res uh, or work with other Navajo students and, and teach. Cause I, I like math. I like science. And um, so in the midst, this is in the middle of my master's degree. I kind of knew, okay, I, I, I want to do that. Um, so I was like, well, I'm in school mode right now. I don't have a job. So let me just go apply for a master's in education. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, so I did apply for ASU, uh, good master school, different change of scenery, um, different school and got into that program. So I went from a master's at Stanford, uh, program finished up winter, uh, actually no. And I said one more quarter. So I finished up in spring and then I had already been accepted and, uh, to ASU for a master's in education program. And the whole intent was I'm going to have that master knocked out. So whenever I do want to transition to teaching, I'll just kind of jump straight into it. Um, so it was also part of like, I wasn't ready to grow up. I wasn't ready to not, <laughs> to, to not be in school and like have real responsibilities and this is kind of delaying it. So. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, it was probably one of the, the best decision of my life because I met my wife there. I met her ASU. So. So you take you do another master's. Yeah. This time in education. Um, and let me ask you, because I'm sure folks are wondering, what are your parents thinking while you're doing this? They're like, you know, I because I, I can hear my my uh, not my, my <laughs> I can hear my mom maybe like. <laughs> 
you know, todavía, like you're still going to school. <laughs> like, like, when are you going to grow up? Right. Like you said, you know, I wasn't ready to quite grow up and, and go into adulthood, but what were your, what was the, were you getting any messaging from your parents? I, 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 I was not there. There's uh, more layers uh, in that. Um, my parents got divorced when I was in college uh, sophomore. Sorry. So I think, yeah, I mean, it, that was in itself just like another thing thrown into life. Right. And you kind of battle, but I, I don't think they were, they were just like worrying about their stuff and yeah. their lives. So I, I, I never, yeah, they never questioned. I think they figured like Anthony's figured it out to this point. He'll figure it out. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there was necessary conversations. I love that. Anthony has figured it out to this point and he will figure it out. I have to, um, um, I'm loving your story. Cause I, I, I have to remind my students, right? Like, like, you know, keep moving forward. You'll figure it out. Right. But just keep moving forward. Don't stop. Um, so you go, you get your master's degree, you meet your, your future wife. What's next. What's the transition like after ASU? So, so at that point I, I knew, all right. It's, it's, I knew it's hard to go from like, I should now be an engineer because it's going to be harder to go back into it. If I, if I want just continue teaching. Yeah. Going into engineering at that point is going to be hard, but then transition from engineer back to teacher that that's easier path. So I was like, okay, well now I need to get job engineer. Uh, this is 2009 and the bubble has burst. Uh, tech yeah. jobs are hard to come by. Um, so I, and here, here's a good uh, thing for listeners and your students is this was a, a hard time in my life. I went, um, six months plus without a job, job searching, applying for anything. I was, you know, worried, scared. Um, you know, I knew I, and, and wondering if I messed up getting that education degree, if I had just transitioned straight out of Stanford, maybe there was more opportunity. Maybe the economy was better at that point. I also, people are questioning me at this point of recruiters, like, why did you do what you did? Uh, why'd you go into education? Now you want to go into engineering? Like, that happens. And they, they kind of like, you know, ask me that, are you still technical almost? Um, and it took a while and it, it, it took me like, I remember I was just like in a, a very sad state and worried state that how, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, I don't have a job, no prospects. I'm working like whatever job I'm working like as an intermittent rep, intermittent ref at, at ASU, just to, earn some cash there, doing tutoring, a couple hours there, like just whatever I could do just to like pay rent, pay for food, um, and feeling like I messed up. Uh, fortunately, uh, I, I ended up with some, uh, job prospects, um, after going to a, uh, career conference, uh, for an organization I was part of, uh, very, adamantly a part of as an undergrad and now as a professional it's called the American Indian Science and Engineering Society. Uh, there's equivalent for, you know, women engineers, there's a society of women engineers, there's SHIP for Hispanic professional engineers. ACE is kind of very similar, but for the American Indian indigenous community. Um, so I went to, I knew their conference, I'm still looking for jobs, but I'm like, I'll go to that, the conference because there's a job fair and hopefully I get something. There, I got a few offers and one of them, I, I was actually thinking about joining uh, the Navy, just going as an officer 
an enlisted because I, I need a job. Uh, and then the other prospect was Lawrence Livermore National Labs. Uh, it's a it's National Department of Energy lab out in the Bay Area. Um, and I honestly, I got a job offer from the Navy to basically enlist. And I was close to, and I was just kind of like pinging Lawrence, like, this is a big commitment. Like, Lawrence, I'm more like, I have an offer. Like, are you guys going to offer me something? Um, and in the end they, they did. And so that, that was the path that I took, but it, for a while there, like, it was just an interesting time. There's stuff like I told my wife later, cause I, obviously I was with her at that point. Um, did you know I was that, that close to like enlisting? Just, I needed to find something. And, um, not that that wasn't bad, but it just would have been different. Right. You, you kind of don't know where that path takes you. Um, but went to Lawrence Livermore national lab and that kind of began my career as engineer. Um, yeah. Anthony, what advice would you give um, maybe a, a recent grad who finds themselves struggling to find work, finds themselves in a similar situation to what you were experiencing? Um, some, some aspects I, I didn't realize. Now I realize uh, importance of networking. And I hated that term at Stanford because you'd hear people throw it out, right? <laughs> and you're like, I, I, and I hated it for the aspect of sometimes it felt like I didn't know if it was always genuine. When, you know, some, was someone saying hi to you because they need something from you? Like it was that aspect. Yeah. But in reality, like it's, you know, it's, it's also how you approach it, right? It's if you're genuine I, throughout the process, I don't really, in the end, it's not necessarily what I thought it was where I was just used. So it was, you know, there's people out there that want to help other people and they want to provide you. And, and if they can, um, myself included at this point, like if I can help someone out and I have the ability and I know, oh, there's a job opening on my, or, or maybe I know you can get faster through our interview process. If you have a recommendation, which you learn, like if you get a recommendation from someone that works there, I will use a recommendation for you to get you through so your resume gets seen sooner. Um, so I, I think that's an important thing is um, networking. Like I said, I don't like a term, you use it, you know, probably return it, but um, realizing like leveraging your community, leveraging um, and, and being part of that, being okay with asking for help, right? I think that's probably a theme that you probably touched upon many times with Chris, with several guests, but you know, it's for some of us, it's really hard to ask for help. Yeah. And because we don't want to feel like a burden on someone, you know, we have pride, whatever reason, but understanding that, and that that's a big area uh, that I feel like I, I've grown where I, where earlier I said, I, I knew I was always like behind maturity wise and things like that. That's the number one area where I feel like I I've kind of grown is understanding that, I, that perfectionist, it can drive me a lot and it can, it can do a lot, but understanding like limitations and understanding where I could get help and asking for help. Um, that's, that's probably one of those things that, uh, I would say if someone was struggling for work, like look at, and people can help you in many ways, reviewing your resume, providing you feedback, helping you write your cover letter. Um, you know, putting you in contact with people. Um, couple of things. One, I, I like the term leveraging your community. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, I'm thinking about like all of these stories that, that, that you know, I've, I've been collecting and, and hearing. And I think you're, you're right. I think um, networking, I don't, I don't know what it is, right. It yeah. doesn't feel like a good, time. <laughs> but yeah. I love, I love leveraging the, your community. The other thing is I love um, being comfortable with asking for help. I, I don't know what it is. Um, so I, you know, I'm no longer full-time faculty, but I still teach part-time in this semester. It, it felt, it seemed like, I had more conversations with my students about that. And a lot of them said that, uh, that one, they felt like a burden. They didn't want to be a burden. Um, two, that, that there was almost this expectation to do it on your own. Right. And I, and I don't know if that's the, um, right. The whole, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of ethos, but, but, you know, and, and I can't speak to a larger community, but I know at least with like the Latino first gen students that I, that I work with, I, that, I see that a lot where it's like they don't want to ask for help um and they're not comfortable with it and 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 then some of them don't know how right how do i how do we do that how do you ask for help and so i appreciate you sharing sharing that being comfortable with that and again leveraging the leveraging of your community i think that's really critical um and I think I'm sure we could probably have like I could probably have a couple of like special episodes of just like, hey, let's talk about leveraging your community one on one or asking being OK. Right. Getting beyond the, the ask, asking for help. You. Um, you get the job, right, Livermore Labs. And. How long are you there and then what's next for you? Uh, four years there, um, I kind of at that point get. Uh, I guess just bored a little bit with like where my career is going feel like my growth I think it's my growth really like I don't feel like I'm, I'm growing um maybe it's three years actually and and I end up getting contacted by a headhunter um for a small cybersecurity startup uh that does uh consultancy type work but it was here in Austin um Praetorians uh and so I joined and I end up joining as the third technical team member. And that includes the founder um, working technical things. And that startup experience, uh, not only one, they kind of, it brought me into cybersecurity where I'm currently at, uh, information security, you know, this field, which, which is super interesting. Um, but also that once that startup experience allowed me to wear a lot of hats, uh, allowed me to do everything from, I was a people manager there, project management, um, just grew technically, um, did consulting work, development, all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, and it, and it led to where I'm at. So there from Praetorian, left after about, that was after four years to Electronic Arts, the video game company, uh, did cybersecurity for them. So helping to secure games and the platforms and everything and then um from there to where i'm at now at airbnb um working once again in the application security area uh securing airbnb's platform and the application and everything that encompasses congratulations thank you <laughs> on finding consistent work after that you know that very trying time um you know, when I started the podcast, Anthony, I started it because, um, because again, I worked, you know, last 20 years with first year students and it felt like over the last five years, there was more and more pressure. Students felt more and more pressure to feel like I've got to have this figured out, you know, 
And I'd always remind them, look, you're 18, 19. You're not, I don't, I know 18 and 19 year old, like reasonably has life figured out. And it's funny because yesterday when I was talking to the parents, I, and it was a large room. It was a big room. I think, I think I I did three sessions and overall I saw like maybe 275 parents. And um, in one of the sessions I said, I said, Hey, you know, there's a lot, your kids are feeling a lot of pressure. And I said, as I was telling them, as they think about where to send their kids, I said, wherever your kids go to school, make sure that if they don't know what they want to do, that there's going to be support and there's going to, they're going to have time to explore and figure things out. And if they know what they're going to do, that if they have an idea that again, that there is still that support and right program. And I said, and, and remember, and I asked, I said, when you were 18 and 19, do you remember being 18, 19? The parents were shaking their heads, right? These are like largely Spanish speaking parents. And I said, did you know what you wanted to do? And, you know, <laughs> and shake it like, and I'm like, thank you. Right. So, so let's, you know, let's ease up on, on, on our kids. Right. Like, and so, you know, I, I started the podcast because I knew like knowing what you want to do at 18, 19 is not typical. So let me share these stories. I'm going to reach out to my network. And because I think the stories will tell for themselves, right? They'll they'll tell the story. And so, you know, we get fixated on this idea. We're told we've got to figure out what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And here you are, um, taught, you know, several master's degree, work at Livermore Labs, work at Praetorian, right? You're still doing similar work, right? But like you said, you've worn different hats. (laughs) And so that, like your experience, I think is more typical of work today than, than work 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right. Than what we sell kids on or the expectations we have. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think there's, Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No, I I think there's also one thing that I I do want to point out because I think it's very important is, you know, I, I ran through that and it sounds like, okay, well, he jumped, jumped, even then, like it just, there was a lot of failure in there. There's a lot of um, me thinking I had that path, the next path. Okay, I'm ready to leave this job at Praetorian, say. And I, I you know, interviewed with Google, the NFL, um, Facebook, you know, Uber, like companies like that. And you know what? I did it. I didn't get the job there. I did it. Like I, I got rejected. I got rejection letters. Um and in the end, like, you know, I say now, or oh, I work for electronic arts and people, wow, that's so, so cool. Like you, you got your dream. I can make up the story that I, I, it was the only job I wanted and I got it, but there's plenty of, of stories of me being rejected. And, and I think that's important for me to point out because um, I think that's part over of this overarching that like I, there was no direct path and I try to make it, I try to be like, all right, well, after I get this job from the NFL, we're going to move here and I'm going to do this. And, and, and then boom, you're, it, you don't get it. Yeah. You know, and, and you kind of just, I'm making my way through it. Um, so I, I think, you know, I really want to emphasize that aspect of it. Like there's, there's plenty of failure there and it, and it stinks. And I, and I was hurt and I felt like crying and I probably did cry for some of those and, and leaned on my wife um, you know, and just said, like, I don't know what we're going to do, like, whatever, but it's, it's working out, right. It's, it's, I'm making my way through. Um, and that path is not linear. And it's, even if I wanted it to be like, I want to end up there. I I'm likely going to start walking in a different direction and then end up being like, actually, I want to end up there. It's a totally different place. Um, but it's, 
that's life. That's kind of career, professional career. Anthony, before we, uh, we go, because I want to be mindful of your time. Um, any final words of advice for our listeners out there? I think, um, so I guess let me, I, I do want to talk about this, this next chapter of my life, because I think it starts, um, it emphasizes a, a good point of, of that path of like, of where you can end up going and how things can start coming into place somewhat. Um, so, so right now I, I work for Airbnb. Um, but before I left EA, uh, I, I knew I wanted, uh, so you set certain goals in your life. Like I said, you want certain things. Here, here's a, here's an example of like setting something that's really, really important for yourself and finding a way to do it. Um, so I had told my wife, even before we were married or anything, like my culture, my Navajo culture is super important to me. Like it's everything. Um, it's my identity. It's everything. And a big part of that culture is our language. I, I, you know, I, I came on this and, and spoke of the Navajo, but I'm not fluent by, by no means. And our language is hard, uh, evidenced by, you know, it being, uh, the code talkers, world war two, you know, that code, um, and so much of my culture is connected with the language that I, I, I want my kids in my language, my future kids at this point, like I said, we're not even maybe even engaged. We're just dating, but I kind of, this is how I knew that she was the one because she, she was okay. So I said, I want my kids to go to Navajo Emergency school. There there's, I, I at least knew of one at that point. However, I get there. And this is, maybe this is what makes me transition to teaching sooner. If I have to go teach on the res, cause there's no technical jobs there. Um, I'll go do that. Like whatever I have to do. So that was always there. We eventually have our first, you may have first kid countdowns on our, cause uh, the merger school started at kindergarten. We have about five years from, from when the first kid, now we got to figure out what we're doing. Am I going to transition jobs? Like, okay. Uh, in the end where this is going. So my wife ends up, she's from Arizona, um, from Yuma, Arizona. So the up the bottom corner, of Arizona, I'm from that whole nation uh the upper corner of Arizona. So we're probably as far apart as you can become where we're from. My wife finds a Naval Emergency School in Flagstaff. We like the town. Flagstaff, Arizona, beautiful mountainous town, everything. Uh and I was like, wow, like that's great. So how do I get there? I I at some point at EA and um, we're but we're charting this out, like I said, like five years, we've got to figure out how to go to emergency school. Am I just gonna be a teacher? I say to myself, I realize I don't I don't know what it was. I realized like, you know what? I have a skill set. I have value because I'm doing pretty good at my job. And and you know, obviously it, it's shown by how my peers look at me, how my manager looks at me, everything like that, my annual um reviews and, and things like that. I can just go tell them how do you know I know I'm valuable, like how do I become remote? I want to be fully remote. I think I told them in like three years, two years, two, three years. So I can accomplish this dream because I wasn't ready to give up on tech yet. Like I, I love the problem solving of, of my field, um, you know, and yeah, I'll be a teacher. I, I feel like I always say like, I'll never retire. I don't, I don't look at retire. Like when I'm done with tech and maybe just burn out, I'll just go teach. And that's what I, you know, what I'll do. But uh, I want to say tech. Cause I was, you know, enjoying these problems, the problem set, that's that engineering me, that problem solving. And so 
I totally ate that. Um, and they were kind of transitioning me to, okay, they understood because I, I, I realized I was valuable. Now what happens in our industry is you get headhunters, people start reaching out, especially in like cyber information security, cybersecurity, because it's a, it's, there's a, not as much talent as, as you know, they want to fulfill all those positions. So I get hit up by a uh, um, headhunter well, by plenty. And all my first requirement is I need to be remote. That's, that's like, it's a non-starter. I, I'm going to be remote because I know there's no one has an office in Flagstaff and my kids are going to emergency school. Well, Airbnb says, you know, they're there when they headhunt me and they say that they say, okay, yeah. And it was a more interesting opportunity. So, uh, I took that job. Uh, also around that time too, I had, I bought land in Flagstaff to build our, our forever home. Um, you know, within, we hope to be moving there in May. Um, my, my daughter's, you know, enrolled, ready to attend that school. Um, and that was me. So overall, like that's going to happen soon. And that was me setting, I am one thing that was super important and that's my culture and this. And I realized also the aspect of like what I bring to so putting value in myself, realizing that I think to me, like that was something that after I look back and I, I was like, wow, like I didn't realize that was possible in the end. But um, yeah, th that's that's a story that I, I did want to share with your audience. I love that because I think I think somewhere somewhere there's a connection right with um, with us. In, and when I say us, I mean I, I don't I, I I mean you know students of color. I think a lot of times we undervalue ourselves and we we don't know how to place value on ourselves. And so for you to recognize right? Your journey, but also what you bring to the company and your value to the company and to be able to say, to be able to believe in yourself such that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to lay out sort of my terms and what I want. Right. And, and if I, my future, if, if they see my, if they see me tied to this company long-term, this is what I expect from the company. And so congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. That is Thanks. awesome. And, and really courageous of you to do that yeah i mean i if you had to talk to me you know before like 10 years ago i probably would be like that guy's crazy whoever tried to do that but i think <laughs> i think you're right i mean there, there, there's a lot of those aspects that you, that you talked about about seeing that value and we we don't do that for ourselves um in, in some senses that's how the majority has played this game right and sometimes you got to realize like it, it is somewhat a game this game of professional careers and things like that. And we need to figure out uh, as minorities, as underrepresented people, like, um, you know, learn a little bit of the rules, learn that that the individuals play the games that way and then take advantage of it for ourselves. Cause um, you know, and, it, and it's not just doing it where without the evidence of was I valuable, was I successful? I, I saw that and I kind of like, all right, I know I'm at a place I can do this. Anthony, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know your story is going to resonate with a lot of folks. Um, I appreciate you going back and, and talking about like the failure, like, right. And talking about your trajectory, but then going back and reminding us, or at least sharing that, that there was failure along the route. And, and so reminding us that, that, yeah, that too, we, 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 I, I don't know, maybe that we should expect it, 
and that that's kind of that's also just part of the journey, right? Because it's not always going to be highs, that there are going to be plenty of lows. So, so thank you for that, Anthony. Um, congratulations again on everything and all of your accomplishments. I I look forward to seeing pictures of your forever home in Flagstaff, Arizona. And, um, my parents used to drive me up to Stanford, at least either drive me up or bring me back. And um, uh -huh. so we always went through Flagstaff just because it was so beautiful. Um, so. Matt, props to you. I think that's amazing. And so I can't wait to see those. Um, and then uh, congratulations on the family. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, rate, follow, uh, all of those wonderful things. And, uh, and we'll see you next time with another wonderful story. Take care. Bye-bye.